Hello. I mean, do, you, do you feel that? I mean, there's just something about that that's awesome. And you know why it's awesome? It's not just because some guy's singing on a mic, but it's the content of what he is singing about, isn't it? Because whenever we experience the simplicity and beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it is through a song or a podcast or reading something or just a life moment where the clarity of the gospel is just thrown before us, there is something in us that is stirred and moved if we have already experienced the gospel. See, once you have experienced the rescue of your soul through the great work of Jesus Christ on planet earth and you've experienced the restoration of your purpose to live imaging God and experiencing him and you've experienced the redemption of your future that your eternal well-being is set because of what Jesus has done. Every time you hear the gospel as it is unpacked in its simplicity, something in you moves and you go, oh yes, yes, I mean yes, hello. And, and that's been one of the great privileges of traveling through the scriptures as we have been doing, because as we have traveled through the scriptures starting in Genesis so many years ago and chronologically tracking our way through the Bible, what we have experienced is the story of God unfolding before us, which we call the gospel, right? When you hear us say the gospel, it is the, the cumulative story of God, of his great rescue of our human story and his great rescue of our individual lives back in into life after we abandoned him for our own insanity. And so every time we have traveled, we have been experiencing the wonder of God's rescue and the privilege of that rescue. As we stepped into the Old Testament and started traveling from Genesis uh, through the rest of the Old Testament, what we discovered there that was despite the fact that we abandoned God and pursued our own divinity and our own story, he never abandoned us. And so the entire Old Testament is this growing promise. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. I got this story. Do not be afraid. And everything he was doing was just building toward this great promise of our salvation as a human race. Our salvation as individual people that he is pursuing. As we came out of the Old Testament and entered into the Gospels, that's where the reality of everything we discover in the Old Testament sort of uh, came to fruition. God himself, the divine, entered into humanity, divinity becoming humanity, walked in flesh and blood among us, and instead of demanding our service, he served us. And instead of demanding our death as he ought to have because we had abandoned him, he died for us. And instead of requiring us to do what was necessary to be right with him, he did what was necessary to make us right with himself. And this was the story of the gospel. He rose from the dead after his crucifixion, demonstrating to us that he always had power over death and that death no longer had power over us. And we stood at the end of the gospels and I felt like God was doing this. Here is the good news. Here is the gospel. You were dead and you are now alive. You were lost and you are now found. You were gone and I came and got you. Your story is redeemed. Welcome home. I mean, that, that's where we stood at the end of the gospels. And then as we entered into the book of Acts, here's what I felt like happened. God went, now watch this. And he took the gospel and he just threw it out into our stories 
and he filled us with the Spirit of God, and he said, you are going to carry the gospel into a dark, dead, destructive world, and it is going to bring life and light and freedom, and it's going to happen through you. So watch. And he just threw the gospel out there, and we have been watching the gospel unfold in the story of the book of Acts as it, like a mustard plant, just as Jesus said it would, begins to spread into darkness and death and, and horror and brings life, light, and freedom. Oh, and it, it, it wasn't always pretty, right? But we watched it expand. And, and to be honest with you, as we entered the book of Acts and I started traveling through, uh, I mean, every single time we were in the book of, the book of Acts, I felt like we were coming back to the gospel, right? Coming back to these simple realities of the gospel, watching it spread one more time in another story, watching its implications one more time in another story. And there was a point along the way where I, I'll be honest with you, I felt like we're being a little repetitive. I mean, just go on and on. I mean, I'd study another passage in the book of Acts. Oh, it's, it's the gospel again. It's, it's moving again. It's in another group of people. We're gonna hear it again. And, and there was a part of me that sort of felt like, I, I wonder how long we can keep this going without it starting to feel super repetitive here. Oh, come, come to Mosaic and, and you'll just hear the same old, same old. That's not gonna fly, right? And so I was just kind of thinking, boy, may, maybe we can repackage or reshape or refix. And then this, this week, this week I, I went to the bookstore with my daughter, 10-year-old daughter. So she's read like 10 books this summer and uh, uh, the bookstore had this deal that if you read 10 books and you could mark what they were and your parents signed off on it, that you could come and they'd give you a free book because they're so impressed, right? And, and my kids, they'll do it, they'll, they'll read. So she read her 10 books and Friday I had the privilege of taking her to the bookstore. We drive over there and, and she's gonna go pick out her book and, and while she's picking out her book in the children's section, right across from it was the, the shelf where all the Christian books are. Uh, not the religious stuff like the smorgasbord of insanity. I'm just talking about the, the Christian section, right? And so I'm like, I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go look at some of those books, see what's, what's new, see if there's anything that pops out that I might wanna read while you look for your book. So I'm standing in front of the shelf on the, on the Christian bookshelf, and I'm looking at all the best-selling books that are on there. And it was extraordinary to me uh, the variety of messages that were being sent. And, and suddenly I saw it uh, as clear as day. On this bookshelf, uh, there was uh, these different versions of the gospel all floating. And what it was was there's the gospel and sprinkled into the gospel uh, from all sorts of different points of view were little things added to it. And it was unbelievable to me as I stood there, I, I almost started panicking for a minute because I'm like, wow, the simplicity of the gospel in its pure beauty is so distorted on this bookshelf. Here's a little prosperity sprinkled in the, into this one. And if you sprinkle a little prosperity into it, then suddenly what God owes you becomes part of the equation. Here a little pro uh, poverty sprinkled into this one. And so suddenly what you owe God becomes part of the equation. You ain't suffering, you ain't spiritual, right? That's sprinkled in right there. Here a little self-righteousness is sprinkled into Man, listen, if you're not living this way, then that's, that's a problem. Here, uh, uh, so much grace, unintended grace, mis misunderstood grace is spread into that a lawless reality emerges. Doesn't matter anymore how you live. You got Jesus. And there's a little universalism spread into this one. Ah, oh, you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. God's got you. Don't worry about it. And then there's the others. Like, it matters a great deal what you're doing. If you don't do it right, he ain't got you. And I'm like looking at this and I'm like, oh my goodness. How on earth do we enter into this world and somehow discern what is right and good about the gospel? What is the gospel? Where is it twisted so much that it's not the gospel? How do we handle that? 
Guys, we live in a global society. I mean, there is not one of you in this room, I, I would bet, maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt it, that isn't in some way attached uh, to the wide world of the web, right? I mean, probably highly attached to your social media pages, right? I mean, <clears throat> I'm a Facebookers, come on, Twitter guys, come on, yeah, I know it. I mean, we are on that stuff constantly. And you know what's insane about our global society? We have access to massive amounts of information per second that 100 years ago in a lifetime someone didn't have access to. And so any bozo can throw whatever they want on Facebook, put it with a nice graphic, and it sounds like the truth, doesn't it? I mean, have you read that stuff? Oh, beautiful graphic, nice title, blogger. And you're like, oh, that's got to be true because nobody makes a graphic like that unless it's true. <laughs> See, we are faced with an epic reality of information coming our way like we have never had before, and yet we are less discerning than we've ever been in our entire society because, because all that information comes, we're not learning anymore. See, we're just counting on information. We don't really learn stuff anymore. It's right there. We don't have to learn it. I've even said it. Why learn it? You got access to it. And so we don't really know anything, but we have everything at our fingertips. How on earth do we discern the gospel, the good news of Jesus, among the thousands of twists and turns that it has now become? How do we stay true? Because God's intent for us was simple. That we would understand the simplicity of the good news of Jesus and its rescue of our souls, its restoration of our purpose, its redemption of our future, and in that simplicity, we would be ap absolutely astonished by the goodness of the gospel. And that astonishment would drive us to lay our lives down as living sacrifices for the sake of God's story. And that also simultaneously, we would be so astonished that we would dig into the complexities of the gospel, the deeper things of the gospel, so that we could understand every implication of the gospel so that it would inform every part of our lives. And unfortunately, that does not happen for the most part in our lives because we're too fast, too busy, too much information, too little knowledge, too little wisdom, and so it just comes and goes, comes and goes. But, but the reality is, guys, that this has been going on from day one. This has been the enemy's uh, pursuit from the second we discovered the gospel in the hands of Christ and he released it into the church to go and spread into the nations and bring life to death, light to darkness, freedom to bondage. The enemy has been at it all the time, trying to distort it or trying to cause it to be ignored. Either ignore it or distort it. Those are the two options, and he has been at work. In the book of Acts, as we entered into the story of the book of Acts, we have discovered the movement of the gospel in some amazing ways. I mean, we saw it happen. Jesus releases the gospel. The Spirit of God enters into the apostles. They preach the good news of Jesus. Uh, 3,000 come to know him. The Spirit of God enters into them, and as the Spirit of God moves through them, a beautiful community is born, and the gospel begins to spread. The good news of Jesus' rescue uh, begins to spread, and as it spreads, people enter in, but also the planet around those people start getting real nervous, so persecution emerges. The miraculous and the martyrdom come together. As that begins to unfold, uh, the, ch the New Testament church, this uh, this church that's developing out of the revelation of Jesus Christ uh, starts facing persecution. It gets heavier and heavier, and I think they were kind of waiting to be delivered from it, and instead, James, one of the disciples of Jesus, gets his head chopped off, right? So he gets decapitated by Herod, and we all go, whoa, what just happened? Those were superheroes. They weren't supposed to die. 
and the church starts going, oh, how bad is this gonna get? Peter's in prison, he comes out supernaturally. He gets word to James, the half-brother of Jesus in Jerusalem, and says to him, man, things are getting real heavy out here. James writes a letter to the church, the 12 tribes scattered, writes a letter and says, ladies, gentlemen, I know it's rough out there, but listen to me. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith will develop perseverance that must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Even if it gets really bad, it's only getting really good. You see what James is saying? And then he unpacks an entire letter about what it means to live authentically following Jesus regardless of circumstance. And we went out, took the letter of James, and sucked it into the book of Acts right where it belonged, right? And we dealt with the letter of James. We're like, well, this is where it was written, so let's deal with it here. And we traveled through that, and then we jumped back into the book of Acts. We were already in it, but we kind of went back on track, and, and, and we watched the gospel spread. Paul came onto the scene. Bumped into Jesus in, in, on the road to Damascus, and uh, Paul bumps into Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul go to Antioch, and at Antioch they develop uh, this deep-seated discipleship, and then Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church in Antioch to Cyprus. They go with Cyp to Cyprus with John. They come back. Uh, John departs and goes to Jerusalem, and Paul and, Cy uh, Paul and Barnabas go up to Galatia. And they enter into Antioch of Poseidon and they start preaching the gospel there. And suddenly we enter the Gentile territory in a big way. We're like, what's gonna happen now? And he preaches to the Jewish people first. They get all psyched about Jesus. They're super excited. Then he preaches to the Gentiles in the same town. They get super excited and the Jewish guys go, okay, are they gonna get circumcised and become Jewish? Because they can't have our Messiah if they're not Jewish. And Paul goes, no, it doesn't work that way anymore. See, Jesus has transcended the reality uh, that they need an outward sign of belonging through circumcision and they need to live under the law and, and, and they need to live by the sacrificial system. Jesus has undone those necessities and set us free. The law is still good. We should live by it, but not under it. And belonging to Jesus is now by the spirit of God, not an outward sign. And the Jewish people go, uh-uh. And they, and they kick Paul and Barnabas out of town. They go to Iconium. They don't try to kick him out of town. They try to kill him. They go to Derba and Lystra, they try to stone him, and in one of the cities they get it right, and they stone Paul, they think he's dead, he didn't die. Huh, who knew? So, Paul has suffered greatly with Barnabas for the sake of carrying the good news of the gospel into Galatia. And the opposition he's faced is, listen, if you want the gospel of Jesus, you gotta become Jewish first, get circumcised, go through the law, live under its reality, and do the sacrificial stuff, and then you can have Jesus. So Paul goes back to Antioch, where he was sent out of, not Antioch of Poseidon, and he, they wrestle there for a while. Paul goes down to Jerusalem, and the Jerusalem council emerges. And at the Jerusalem council, all of the elders of the Jerusalem church and all the apostles gather together, and they wrestle with the gospel. The gospel that we've discovered in the book of Acts now that's so beautiful, they start wrestling with it. What does it really mean? See, now the simplicity of the gospel, we dig into it and we start dealing with the complexities of the gospel and say, we gotta get this right because if we don't get this right, that has huge implications. So they start digging into the gospel and here's what they discover. Jesus set us free, not only from sin and death, but from the necessity to live under the law as a weight, from the necessity to have sacrifices making ourselves right constantly, and from the necessity to have an outward sign of circumcision to belong. Through the Spirit of God, these things happen now. We live by the law, but not under the law, and it is good to us. It's not a weight over us. Man, exciting stuff. Paul goes back with Barnabas to Antioch. They declare this with a letter. 
Paul and Barnabas are gonna travel up into Galatia. They have a fight. Barnabas doesn't wanna hang out with Paul. Paul not with Barnabas. The church says, you two need some space. Silas goes with Paul up into the new territory after they have taken this great news back into Galatia. The gospel has set us free. As Paul and Silas head out onto the next missionary run, word comes to Paul. Hey, Paul, the guys in Galatia, uh, those churches uh, in Iconium, uh, in uh, Antioch of Poseida, in Derbe and Lystra, uh, there's been some false teachers that have come in, the same false teachers that used to hound you and got you stoned. They've come back, and now that you're gone, they've said to the guys, hey, Paul and Barnabas and Silas, they didn't know what they were talking about. You still need to get circumcised. We're telling you. And, and look, if you don't get circumcised, that could be a problem. We gotta go back to the Jewish root stuff, man. We add to the gospel of Jesus Christ the necessity to live under the law, we have an outward sign, and deal with that, and Paul gets word about this. Can you imagine how you would feel if you got word about that? You were stoned to try to make this clear to them. Now there's word. It hasn't been a long time. It's been quick. You've gone on your next journey, just like that. And so Paul sits down and writes them a letter. Now he's mad. He's like, I'm writing you a letter and I'm coming for you. And that letter is called the book of Galatians. And we're going to do exactly what we did with the book of James. We're still in the book of Acts, but we're going to suck the book of Galatians into the book of Acts here because this is where it belongs. We know that it was written sometime around this season to the people in Galatia. And, um, and Paul's writing to them to say, I, I, I cannot believe what I'm hearing from you that after all of our suffering and all of our struggle, practically dying to carry the gospel into you, that you are not getting the gospel right. How could you have added this stuff to the gospel and get it so wrong? Let's open the book of Galatians and see what on earth Paul is going to write. Grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles we provide under the seats, it is going to be page 631. Page 631, Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul is going to begin this letter now, and what you're going to see him do right off the bat is he's going to establish for the church in Galatia, which is going to be, again, uh, Antioch of Poseidon, Iconium, Derba, Lystra primarily. He's going, to, he's going to establish something very important. He's going to say, I, I don't know who you're listening to. I don't know who's talking to you. I don't know who's teaching you to get you into this stuff, but remember who sent me so that he establishes authority. Take a look. Paul starts, Paul and apostle. So I love that, just short and sweet. There are not a lot of apostles, okay? And I'm one of them. So I don't know who you're listening to, but it's probably not Peter, and it's probably not John, and it's probably not one of the other apostles. So starting point, I win, okay? I don't know who you're listening to, but let's establish that I am an apostle. Now, he goes further. I love this. Not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So this is, this is Paul. I love this story. Paul starts out establishing for the church in Galatia because he's a little ticked at them for abandoning the simplicity of the gospel and adding a bunch of legalistic junk to it to turn it from something that it's now never intended to be, not a gospel at all, not the gospel at all. So Paul writes them and he says, listen, number one, I'm an apostle. And number two, for the record, I didn't become an apostle because Peter thought it was a good idea. I didn't become an apostle because John and Peter prayed together and said, I think we should make Paul an apostle. 
I didn't even become apostle because all of the elders of the church in Jerusalem and all of the apostles came together, sought the Spirit of God, and came to me and told me, you are now an apostle. If any of that had happened, there might be a small gap between my authority telling you what I think and Jesus because there's some men between me and Jesus. But remember, I was not appointed by man. Now, now none of us in this room can say that. Paul could say, see, all of us were appointed by God for the things we're doing, but usually through the biblical community in some way, right? Uh, Paul actually bumped into Jesus on the road to Damascus. It was actually him, right? So he bumps into Jesus. All the other apostles who might have called him into this were too scared because he was killing them. So Jesus shows up and goes, Paul, what are you doing, man? And blinds him for three days just so he's absolutely certain that he was talking to Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, I'm gonna send you out into the world, Jews and Gentiles alike, and I'm gonna use you in mighty ways to carry the good news that I've come to rescue. But I wanna tell you something, Paul, you are gonna suffer greatly for that call. Not because I'm trying to punish you, but because that's the reality of a, a pioneer in this time in history. I mean, all the apostles suffered greatly to carry the gospel into a very dark world that had not experienced fully the light yet. And so Paul says to them, can we just establish something before I go into this letter? And you can tell by the tone, this letter's not gonna be super nice. He goes, look, one, I'm an apostle, so let's just get that straight. Two, Jesus himself told me to be an apostle and told me to come to you and told me to tell you this stuff. So if the guys on the ground read this letter and start telling you, well, who's Paul to say this? You tell them, Jesus told him directly in person on a road. Can you beat that? It's important because remember, Paul now knows every time he leaves, these false teachers start spinning stuff and people buy into all this junk. And so Paul needs to establish once again why when he writes, it matters that you pay attention. And look, look what he says here. And to all the brothers, and, and all the brothers who are with me. So, so I love what Paul does. He goes like this, I'm an apostle sent by Jesus, and that's enough authority to end this conversation right there. But I'm also writing out of biblical community with all the brothers that are traveling with me that were there when all this stuff happened. So he's saying, I'm not writing as a loner leader despite the fact that I probably have the authority to because I'm directly sent by Jesus. I'm writing with my brothers, writing with them to you so that we as a cumulative biblical community of leadership can say, I don't know what you guys are hearing, but it's not right. Be very careful. And then it says this, to the churches of Galatia. So now we know where it's going. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Paul starting this way, because look, here's the deal. Paul's not doing this to kind of try to be nice before he's about to get mean. Paul is always establishing first and foremost his heart as to why he's about to get firm. Whenever we're gonna get really firm with somebody and really press in hard, we should always start with, hey, just so you know, this is not because you disagree with me or because I don't like you. This is because what you are stepping into is so dangerous for you and what I want for you is grace and peace, not death and destruction. So Paul says, I write this letter with this in mind, grace and peace to you, Galatians. Grace and peace to you. And then, I love what Paul does, as he always does, he sneaks in the entire gospel in a sentence, watch. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present 
evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, how do you preach the gospel in a sentence? Right there. And that's how you do it. He starts the letter out. He establishes his authority from Jesus. He establishes that he's part of biblical community and their authority is part of this. He establishes that it is for grace and peace that he is writing this letter for them to protect their hearts. And he quickly shares with them the gospel that he's about to defend. I'm sending all of this to you from the God who sent his son to rescue our souls and set us free from sin and death and deliver us from this present evil age. To him be the glory, not to me, not to you, not to us. And we haven't even gotten through a sentence yet. Don't you love that? And then he says this, verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So there, there it is. There's the beginning of the letter. Paul is not mincing words. When you start messing with the reality of the gospel, when you start adding to it or distorting it or twisting it or turning it or shaping it in some different way, the implications of getting the gospel wrong are so serious that Paul starts this letter with this. I am blown away at how quickly you have turned to some insane version of the gospel. I have hardly been gone. I mean, come on. Do I need to get on the horse and ride back to Galatia and get stoned a second time? Do you have any idea what I went through to make this clear? I came the first time. You stoned me. I left. I went to Jerusalem. I came back a second time with the letter. We wrestled together. Do you remember in the book of Acts after Paul traveled back through Galatia? The people were thrilled at the letter from the Jerusalem council. Wow, the gospel has indeed set us free. They celebrated together. Now Paul's been gone for a little while and he's like, I'm astonished. I'm astonished at how simple and easy it was for some false teaching to come in and spring a little legalism into the gospel for you, a little, a little twist and turn, a little circumcision, a little law, a little sacrifice, and suddenly now you guys are acting crazy. And, and you are following a different gospel. I, I love that Paul's doing this because we live in a culture right now where I think so often uh, we are so careful not to offend, right? I mean, I won't offend anybody. And we don't want to offend you if you happen to listen to some podcasts from people that have a slightly different view on the gospel than we do. We don't want to offend you if you read the books or the quotes. So we're very careful. You know, we want to say, well, you know, just be careful. But Paul doesn't do that. Do you notice that? The seriousness of a gospel that is twisted, turned, distorted in any way is so massive to him that he goes, I I am astonished that you have left this uh, so quickly and followed a different gospel. I love that. Different. It is not the gospel I preach to you. It is not the one. So let us not pretend that it is the same gospel with a slight twist. You twist it, it becomes something utterly different. In fact, Paul will confirm that with the next sentence. Look at this. I love this, verse seven. Not that there is another one. You see what Paul's doing? I can't believe you're following some other insane gospel. Not that there is a different gospel. So a note to self and note to everyone. If you're following a different gospel than the one that Paul preached to these people in its simplicity, Jesus came to rescue our souls, restore our purpose, redeem our future, and all of the complexities and implications that come with that. If you follow something other than that, then what Paul is saying is this. You're not following a gospel at all. It's not like a different one. It's something utterly horrid. 
Don't be deceived into thinking, I'm just, I just have a slightly different version of the gospel than you do. There's no such thing. There is only one true gospel. And then look what he says. Now he's gonna begin to nail down how important it is that we get the gospel right. He's gonna nail it down. He's gonna say, this is one place we don't have room to play around with differing opinions. In doctrine and theology, are there certain doctrines and theologies that we have room to disagree? Absolutely. Uh, is there certain doctrine and theology that we have room to kind of go, I, I don't know, I understand it this way, you understand it that way? Yes, uh, but if they start affecting the gospel and its implications, then there is no more room. And that's what Paul's about to say. You don't mess with the gospel. Take a look, take a look. He says, but there are some, oh, uh, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, man, people are trying to distort this. Now look what he says. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. I love what Paul did here. You see, he was very strategic, led by the Spirit of God. He didn't say, if anyone comes to you and preaches a different gospel than I did, let him be accursed. Because you know what that can be perceived as, right? I have the gospel down pat. My opinion of the gospel is the right one. And anybody else's opinion, uh, don't, don't, no, Paul doesn't do that. He goes like this. Guys, let me tell you how serious I am about this. If I come to you next week, and I preach the gospel I did to you last week, and I come and preach a different one to you next week, then I'm accursed. See what he's saying? Don't listen to the gospel because Paul preached it to you. Listen to the gospel because it's true, and if Paul changes his mind, then Paul's accursed. Then, then that, that has no place. In fact, Paul goes further than that. He says, listen, forget me. I mean, if I come to you and do that, I'm accursed. If an angel from heaven should come down and show up in your room, I mean, glowing in the dark, wings outstretched, sword in hand, makes a donkey talk, bam, donkey talk, authenticated. I'm an angel, I can do supernatural things. And he preaches a gospel that is different in any way from the one that you have received from me, that I received from Christ. Then that angel is accursed. Don't listen to him. I don't care who tells you, you check it, test it according to the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the scriptures lays it out. Do not sprinkle prosperity into it, poverty into it, self-righteousness into it. Do not sprinkle some version of lawlessness into it. Do not sprinkle stuff into it. You stick to it as it is. Take a look at what he says. As we have said before, verse nine, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That is not mincing words. Paul is not playing around. And we cannot play around with the gospel. You see, what we discover in the very beginning of the book of Galatians is that Paul says to us, inspired by the Spirit of God, the gospel matters the gospel matters. Getting the gospel right matters. You can't get this wrong. Understanding the gospel matters a great deal. Gospel clarity matters. And what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And it's simple and yet complex simultaneously, right? 
The gospel in its simplicity, Paul actually writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to this. This is how simple it gets. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse uh, 3, he says this, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to uh, Cephas and then the twelve, then appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And then the rest of that passage, uh, Paul says, and he sent us out. So here's the gospel. Jesus came. Divinity became humanity. Humanity lived for us as Jesus lived in that human body. Jesus lived for us, served us, died for us on our behalf, in our place, raised from the dead for us, came to us with that rescue. He rescues our soul on his terms. Then he makes us his workmanship and sends us out on mission. There is the gospel. Your life belongs to him now. You live for his glory now. And that is the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I love how Paul unpacks it there. You were dead in your transgressions, or chasing after your own stuff, bent on your own life and your own story. And God came for you while you were his enemy and rescued you from your insanity, brought you into life, made you alive in Christ. And now you belong to him, not by any work of your own, but by His grace and His grace alone. And through faith, you live now for Him. And then it ends in, that, in verse 10. You are God's workmanship, God's poem to the world. And He has he is prepared in advance for you the works you will complete for Him. Because He's writing a story through you. That's your life. That's my life. That's the gospel. And as soon as the gospel gets twisted and turned in any way, the implications of that twist are massive. Because what we understand about the gospel is how we will see God, how we will deal with God, how we believe God deals with us, how we will respond to God. It will inform the way we live our lives. It will inform the way we deal with our relationships. It will inform the way we deal with our resources. It will inform the way we deal with our circumstances. If we understand the gospel correctly, we will live in freedom. And if we understand the gospel incorrectly, we will live in bondage. It's always going to happen that way. Getting the gospel right matters a great deal. And Paul is saying this matters. You cannot afford to be living in a surface level understanding of the gospel and just taking whatever graphic is on Facebook next and buying into what they say. Because what you read on the bookshelf matters a great deal deal because you need to understand what's been sprinkled in. I deal with this constantly in my life. I have the unique privilege of sitting with people constantly, many of you, as I sit with myself many a time. And we're looking at the circumstances of life. We're looking at the relational complexities of life. We're looking at the lack of resources we seem to have in life, right? That's usually when we sit together. We usually sit together when things are not going the way they're supposed to go. And there's been, a, uh, there's been a wrench thrown into the massive sequence of things. And what do we do? We, we, we come sit. All of us. I do the same thing. And where do we begin? Well, why? Why? Well, there's answers to that, but our answer usually starts this way. 
What have I done wrong that you would do this to me, right? See, when we have a wrong view of the gospel and its implications, we usually begin with this. What do I owe God so that God will give me what I want? Well, we, we know that we don't owe God anything, but we sure feel like we do, don't you? Second something goes wrong in your life, uh, I, I must be doing something wrong. I hear this all the time. It comes out all the time. I just, I, you know, I, I'm, I feel like God has a lesson that he's trying to teach me. I don't know what it is. I have no idea. But I feel like until I learn it, I'm stuck with this circumstance. I'm like, so that's how God rolls? You know what? I'm not going to tell you what you need to learn. I'm not going to tell you what you don't know. But I'm going to just keep punishing you until you figure it out. You, you are reading a wrong gospel somewhere, right? You are reading a wrong gospel. And it has deep implications. Or, or we live in a different gospel, right? We don't live so much in a gospel that I've, I've got to constantly be suffering and struggling for God and giving my life to him, otherwise he will not treat me well. But we live in a prosperity gospel, maybe. God owes me. I mean, I'm a child of God, for crying out loud. I mean, did he forget somehow? I mean, I became his child. I stepped in. I showed him faith. I, I believed in him. He better start believing in me. Now, we'd never say it that way. Well, that's not true. Some people do, actually. But I'm just saying, we probably wouldn't, right? But secretly, don't we believe that? I mean, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this circumstance. I've been good. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. I've done my part. I mean, when does God do his part? I don't deserve this challenge. I, I, I don't deserve this lack of resources. I don't deserve this disease, this struggle. You see, we see every circumstance as some action on God's part to try to send us a message about what we owe him or to somehow undo what he owes us. And we live in that. And when our gospel is distorted, our view of God is distorted, our view of life is distorted, and instead of living in freedom, we begin to live in bondage, constantly trying to navigate the circumstances of our life and the realities of our life in such a way that we can appease the God who is supposed to give us what we want. That is a horrid life to live. It's a pagan life to live. It's how the pagans live. Please, the gods, they'll give you what you want. Tick them off, you're in trouble. They're stronger than you. We do not serve a God like that. Our God does not function like that, but to understand that, you must understand the implications of the gospel and its beauty. And if, if the gospel can't be twisted into some legalistic system or some lawless system or some prosperity system or some poverty system, oh, don't worry. The enemy will just try to help you forget the gospel. And that's probably true for all of us in this room, especially me, on a regular basis. In those relationships, those resources, those circumstances that you and I face every day, how quickly do we forget the gospel? How quickly do we forget our rescue? Our great rescue. Do you know that if your soul is rescued, you lack nothing? You need nothing. Oh, does that, does that how life feels? Uh, you wake up every morning like me and you need lots of stuff from the people right next to you and if they don't give it to you, you're mad, right? I mean, you're mad at your kids, you're mad at your spouse, you're mad at your friends, you're mad at somebody. I am too. And then the gospel comes in whispers going, what are you all mad at, man? Have you forgotten who you are in Christ? See, the second the enemy can allow us to forget the gospel, then everything turns to us and we go, what do I deserve? What do I need? How dare the world treat me this way? And then we react to that. Our understanding of the gospel will determine how we see God, how we deal with God, how we respond to God, how we see each other, how we deal with each other, and how we respond to each other. My life is constantly like this. I mean, this week, first week of school, right? First week of school. Ah! 
<laughs> yeah, who has eight kids or more in here? Come on, I mean, raise your hands. Let me pray for you, because I know how that rolls. My kids, my, my kids go to uh, you know, four different school realities. It's, I mean, to, to develop the carpools that my family has to function in, you, you need an engineering degree. <laughs> Thankfully, I have a brilliant wife, so she has multiple uh, abilities like that, but it is insane to watch, and so it creates stress, right? And when stress starts being created in the home, the week before school starts and the first week of school, my wife is overwhelmed. She has 10 trillion things going on in her life, 10 trillion things that she's having to navigate. And she's got me for a husband. I mean, you do the math. Like I'm just like float through life, right? And so I, I'll take the kids, I'll take 20 kids at a time. I don't really care because chaos doesn't bother me, but don't ask me to try to help organize anything. And so she's wrestling through that and, and you know, it gets irritating because it's Brooke against nine human beings in her house. And, and legitimately, I mean, that's the case. Uh, my kids spill stuff all the time. They leave stuff all the time. They don't put their stuff away. They don't care about the well-being of the home. They don't care about money. They don't care about anything. They just care about themselves running. That's how it feels. Now, it's not totally true. Briefly, momentarily, on some days, they care about Jesus a bit. But um, <laughs> really, you know, it's, it's, it's life with the kids. And I can tell my wife all the time, they're, they're kids. But I'm like, yeah, but there's eight of them, and they're destroying everything that is around us. And so my wife gets into this mode, understanding understandably so, where everything is just frustrating. Have you ever been there? Like you walk around the next turn and you're like, I mean, come on, how hard is it? You mess water, you clean it up so I don't slip on it. Uh, sorry. And that means nothing, it's not gonna happen the next time. So then Brooke starts getting irritated. And then I, big picture visionary man that I am, I just bring the big picture to her. It's okay, they're just kids. Like, that solves all problems. <laughs> so beautiful. But she doesn't seem to get that, and I don't understand. So she stays irritated, and so I get irritated that she's irritated. Then she gets irritated that I'm irritated that she's irritated because I should understand why she's irritated. And then I start getting irritated with her, which she is at me, and then we start snapping at each other. And before you know it, a week's gone by, and it's a horrid week, and everybody's mad at each other, and everything's falling apart, and she feels disconnected from me, and I feel disconnected from her and the world, and uh, really, she wants to go and live on an island, and so do I, and the kids can raise themselves. <laughs> Have you ever lived there? <laughs> Folks, listen to me. When we forget the gospel, that's where we go every time. It's just a matter of time. That's where we go. And you will forget the gospel every week, as I do, every day, as I do, and the the word that Paul is sending our way right now is that you can't afford to forget the gospel. You can't afford to get the gospel wrong because God's intent for us was that we would get the simplicity of the gospel right and that we would be astonished by it, captivated by it. Our gospel astonishment should grow every day because we see the beauty of the simplicity of the gospel and that we would dig so deeply into the complexities of the gospel because we're so astonished that the implications of the gospel would continue to inform our lives more and more and shape us. And when the gospel has done its work in us, astonishing us and informing us, we will wake up in freedom every day, transcending circumstances that are difficult transcending complicated relationships, transcending lack of resources or abundance of resources, and we will begin to function in a life of freedom where we live for Jesus Christ through the gospel, and we are free from the realities of this world. And what did Paul say? Jesus, who came and died to deliver us from this present evil age. 
And when we get the gospel right, we will be delivered from the daily evil present age in which we live and we will become salt and light to the darkness. But when we are when we are twisted in our understanding of the gospel, we will get captivated in this present evil age. By God's grace, we are still rescued into eternity. But why live a life on planet Earth of bondage when we are given the chance to live a life of freedom? And how do you live a life of freedom? By demanding greater prosperity from God? No. By living in greater suffering for God? No. By being more legalistic? No, no. By being free in grace, no, no. By just believing universally that God has rescued everyone and you're one of them, no. No, none of those things. By this, in view of God's great mercy, Romans chapter 12, verse one. Present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And let him lead you wherever he sees fit trusting that whatever circumstance you get, poverty, wealth, sickness, health, struggle, there is space for obedience in it, space for God's glory in it. It doesn't have to go away to make God great. The way you handle it will demonstrate God's grace greatly. And in any lack of resource or in any, any difficult, complicated relationship, there is space to live in obedience to Christ, not because you have to, but because you get to because you understand the gospel. Paul is now going to spend the rest of the book of Galatians writing to the church in Galatia. Now that he's established the gospel matters and when we get it right, it sets us free. He's now gonna say, so let's dig into it. He's gonna spend some time on authority issues. Here's how we know the gospel that I preached to you is the right one. He's gonna deal with a lot of authority. We're gonna do that for the next few weeks. And then he's gonna go into what the gospel really is. And then he's gonna go into the implications of the gospel. And we're gonna end in the book of Galatians with this beautiful invitation to this. Live in the fruit of the spirit because you have the gospel and serve one another in love. Because that's what the gospel allows. It's gonna be an incredible ride through the book of Galatians. And when we're done, my prayer for you and I is that we will have a deeper understanding and clarity of the complexities of the gospel and be more astonished than ever at the simplicity of the gospel. And we will be more informed than ever by the gospel so that we will live in greater freedom than we ever have in the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your incredible love for us and the way that you have rescued our souls by the work of divinity becoming humanity, living to serve us instead of demanding our service, dying for us instead of demanding our death, rising from the dead so that you can overcome what we could not, and then stepping into our lives, rescuing our souls, restoring our God-given purpose to image you and to know you, and redeeming our future to be with you forever. God, may our understanding of that beautiful reality deepen as we travel through the book of Galatians. And just as the people of Galatia got this letter and got to wrestle with it, may we wrestle with them through it as we stay in the book of Acts and enjoy the context of this letter. And then when we're done with this letter, God, uh, in the early parts of 2015, would you run us back into the story unfolding in the book of Acts so that we would continue to hear the gospel over and over and over again 10,000 times if necessary. Because God, I see now, the gospel will never be too repetitive, never. Every day, I need to hear it again, see it again, understand it again, 
because the enemy is constantly trying to help me forget it or twist it just enough so that it's no longer the gospel, but it's something utterly horrid. May we recognize that you owe us nothing and we owe you more than we can give, but that you, is, you have given us everything and demand nothing from us for our salvation. Only that you would invite us to live freely on mission for you, imaging you to a dark, dead, dangerous world. And knowing that no matter how big the world gets against us, you will always overcome in us and through us. And you won't overcome for us, God, you'll overcome for yourself, for your glory. So if that means we must die, let it be so. Because we are honored to know you and honored to live for you. In our everyday circumstances where we forget the gospel, would you breathe life back into our spirit of God every day so that we would handle our circumstances, our resources, and our relationships in a manner that demonstrates an acute awareness of the gospel. Forgive us for when we fail, because we do. And thank you that when we fail, it is the gospel that is enough for us and rescuing us all over again every day. God, you haven't missed a single part of the story, have you? You're on it all. Thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.